Welcome to Sincast, presented by Cinema Sins. And uh, welcome to the Sincast. This is uh, Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins, uh, joined as always by Jeremy Scott. Howdy, howdy. And Barrett Share from Music Video Sins. And uh, Barrett, you you have a rant that you want to go ahead and get into, right? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! We're dicks! Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Yeah, I do. I've been uh, seeing all over Twitter and Facebook and everything about the rash of R-rated superhero movies now. After the success of Deadpool, it seems like everybody wants to get on that. Uh, even though apparently Wolverine three was kind of headed that way in the in the beginning, uh, but now with the news that like Dawn of Justice is going to have an R rated Blu ray re- release, and uh, they're looking into to other R rated uh, superhero movies, I want to get your take on it because there, there there's some kind of vehemence between the camps of like this is a great idea, this is something that the genre should have moved into beforehand, based on that mid eighties comic book uh, more gritty realism and. Uh, ultra violence and sex and all that stuff. And I don't know where I fall on it, but uh, it, it's kind of interesting how it's it's caused so much fervor. So what do you guys think about all that? Man, I think if there's one superhero that it's going to do fine with an R rating, it's Wolverine. So I'm not going to pick too much at that one. Um, yeah. But Deadpool, Deadpool didn't do well be- because it was rated R. It, it's not the highest grossing rated R movie because it's rated R. <laughs> it's exactly. because they were very faithful to the original character and they made a really good film and we're going to talk more about Deadpool coming up, but you know, just like James Gunn was talking about the guardians of the galaxy director is that he's afraid Hollywood's going to learn the wrong lessons from the success of Deadpool. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. What James Gunn is saying is that uh, every time there's a movie that's successful, uh, a studio comes over and looks at Deadpool and they say, mm, they, they, it's sort of a checklist. It's, uh, oh, it was R-rated. Oh, it broke the fourth wall. Oh, it did these things. Right. And they take those really um, broad elements of a movie and put it into the next movie that they do. And um, and so that's why you start getting watered down versions of of well you know whatever the next Deadpool is going to be or whatever the next R rated movie it's, is. Yeah, you remember like in the late '90s where everybody tried to do the next Pulp Fiction. Oh have, yeah, like, no, lucky that was number ridiculous. And, and like, it yeah, kind of seems like uh, this is going. Yeah, that was completely ridiculous. It's what. It's, that is exactly what happened with Pulp Fiction was that there were just, you know, things, things to do in Denver when you're dead and two days in the valley <laughs> and all these other movies that came out right after that, that, uh, that used that sort of like, well, uh, people like the sprawling stories with lots of characters and, uh, Pulp Fiction-y type stories. Let's, let's just throw one together and do it, whatever. Um, and they did that with Star Wars back in the day because after Star Wars came out, you started seeing all these like you know low rent sci fi movies that were made. Even James Bond with Moonraker came out <laughs> like right after that. Um, but uh, yeah, they they do that, don't they? They, they, they Deadpool came out, and James Gunn was exactly right. I, I I'm I'm kind of glad he came out and said it because I was thinking the exact same thing. It seems like they always they always do that. They they don't know exactly what made it. They just know that there's some, oh, there's some things that people kind of kind of liked about it, and let's put that in the next movie, but not even think about making a good script or good characters or 
anything like that. Let's just right. say as fuck as a bunch. Boobs. Yeah. Well, and I don't think there's a lesson about our rating specifically. I think the lesson, if Hollywood were to take a really good one, is that, you know, you can make a lot of money with an R-rated movie if you do it correctly. If you apply that to the right property and you make a great story and, you know, and a, a non-superhero property that I wouldn't mind seeing embrace this R-rated trend would be Die Hard. If they're going to make another one anyway, yeah. let's get away from the PG-13 diehards and let's make it what it used to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the PG-13, I'll never understand why a franchise that was successful making R-rated movies decides to go to PG-13 all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah, it's a financial decision, but you were successful making those movies the way they were, not what they weren't or whatever. Or like, right. or, so, yeah, that that bothers me a lot. And also, we, Deadpool is not... Is not the first R-rated comic book movie you mentioned, Watchmen, but 300 was a huge hit. Another mm-hmm. Zack Snyder movie. Yeah. Um, 300 was a huge hit. Sin City was a decent hit. Um, and I guess because they're graphic novels or whatever, they consider them different or something. I don't yeah. know. But um, I, I could even make an argument that even though they were original, Matrix movies were comic book esque movies, uh, especially since Neo turns into Superman by the end of it. Um, the, the, you know, the, it's shown, it's shown time and again that this can work all the time. But then what they do is they start coming out with lots of R rated movies that are not nearly as good. And they're like, well, I guess we're going to have to come back to the PG 13 again. Yeah. When, when really the lesson they should have been learning, you know, since the dawn of Hollywood is if we make good movies, people will come. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that, that's the thing. I, I, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to learn the right lesson for sure. We know we're going to see a lot of bad movies after this. And even yeah, the Deadpool, missed, even the yeah. Deadpool sequel, I worry about a little yeah. bit yeah. because they made this uh, 58, they made a $58 million movie where they were just allowed to do whatever they want. Now Fox is probably like, hmm, look at what we got here. Well, we're going to have to put our fingers into this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, we might as well, uh, might as well go into Deadpool talk unless you guys have a problem since it's such it's a good. seamless transition. But I really liked that movie a lot. I, I think I called it great on Twitter. I told a friend I loved it. But, you know, there's a certain amount of we're still taking it a little bit too seriously in terms of how like perfect it may be or how iconic it's going to like, I think there are flaws. And I think after the opening weekend, Sheen sort of wears off, I think they're going to stand out a little more, um, <clears throat> but there's been nothing but gushing praise basically for the most part. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also very much enjoyed it. I don't even, I mean, and I'm not even enjoying it to the point that a lot of these people are because there's so many Easter eggs in it and everything. Sure. I don't, I don't think I, I caught, most of those only ones I caught were the ones that, you know, if I've seen the movie before, like the green lantern references and, um, Wolverine. Yeah. The Wolverine, all these little, all those ones that There's are some great Wolverine references in there. Oh uh, yeah. They're right. fantastic. Um, but, uh, Barrett, what'd you think about it? No, I, I really, really liked it. And, and I, I don't know. It wasn't the benefit. It was actually probably to the detriment to see it after everybody, like I saw it like a couple of days ago. So <clears throat> it was after everybody heaped all this praise on it. And I didn't go into the super spoilery reviews or anything like that, but I kind of had an idea of what to expect and like addressing the camera and stuff like that. And uh, so I was kind of 
you know, that stuff that probably took, you know, the average viewer seeing on opening weekend by surprise. Uh, I didn't get that. Not to start off full, like whole hog nitpicking or anything like that. I just, one of the things that bothered me about it is that tonally, like, okay, it sets up its own universe of self-referencing and it has its universe where, where, you know, you can address the audience and it's uh, referencing kind of like the, which professor Xavier is it, you know, McAvoy or, or Stewart. And, but then like, it doesn't always live in that. Like there's a couple of times where it does take itself seriously and it right. does actually kind of like uh, shift into a regular superhero movie. It's not often, but when it does, like it, it's a little bit jarring. Well, it's in, like, in, in particular, uh, the, the scene that I remember it being like a superhero movie is when he's trapped in that incubator thing. Yeah. And, and that's where it starts getting serious. Cause even, I mean, and he's, he tells him, before that all happens is like there's it's something to the effect that I'll always be laughing or there's always humor in this whatever that line is where he's he's gonna he's say he he's promising that he's going to be laughing all the way through this or whatever and then it just turns into the oh well it's it's really actually really bad what's happening to him so we're gonna have to cut off the laughs for now and right. and that's exactly what you're talking about is like is like even in this world where he's just sitting there joking and everything there are some things that are that could possibly kill him or would you know uh grind the movie into a, a different you know like every other comic book movie or whatever sure sure and i think i mean i think part of the oh, at least the opening weekend massive gross is you know, i kind of feel like a lot of people on the internet uh, feel responsible for helping get this movie made because when that test footage was released a couple years back or leaked or what have you, um, the internet fell in love with it immediately and started signing petitions and demanding they make it. And so I think to a certain degree, there were a lot of people who had a much more personal attachment to this than just a typical new superhero movie. Yeah. The, the Comic-Con stuff and everything, the trailer and everything, I, I thought I was going to hate this movie. Um, the, the 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 fourth wall stuff is i i thought i could only handle that to a certain degree and in the trailer it's just it's, it hammers you in the movie it's a little bit more spread out so it that is. it's you know that it's not just constantly that and i'm so glad they didn't keep doing jokes like hmm I, I think I left the oven on at home, you know, that mm -hmm. type of, I, which I, which I think is a, just a low rent joke that you, you throw in. It's something that you can find in 500 movies. Um, and, and I'm, and I was really glad that they didn't get go in that direction and everything. I also love the, um, him and, uh, Morena Backer and how they get together. Um, that whole, like, progression of scenes basically oh, they're sitting so there good. like yeah. they're sitting there like trying to uh, outdo each other on uh what who's had the worst life and all that and it starts off like real casual but then it starts getting even more serious and <laughs> but funny at the same time it's like a sex montage and yeah and then <laughs> later there's like uh, an assassination montage. And I thought both of those were really good jolts to the, to the film, both for story reasons and for just a fun way to visually see, you know, just let's sort of speed up, you know, Deadpool's last year and show you all the stuff he did in little bits and pieces. I thought that was really clever. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, like I said, I think 
once the, you know, now that they've done a really good job and this is successful and everything, that second movie, they're not going to have nearly the time that they had on this first one. And they're going to, they're going to try to rush it out and capitalize on it and all that. And there's going to be a lot of like, I, I hope not, but it's, but if this movie, if that sequel comes out in like a year or two, or whatever that's that's a rush job and that's and, you know it's not going to be nearly as good not nearly as magical i don't think i do think there's a chance that you know ryan reynolds passion for this project and he's even you know sort of flirted on talk shows that there's only three people that could have leaked the footage and he's one of them and he's not going to say who did it it might have been him probably was him um and i read an article the other day on um deadline or the rap about how his agents are negotiating his Deadpool two deal and it'll be a lot more money and power. And there's a chance I think for him to ensure that the quality is there uh, because he does seem to really love this character. Um, But you're right. This is, that's the fear we generally have. And there's something odd that comes along and it's an unexpected hit. Uh, The studio wants to rush out as many more of them as they can. uh, And that's when you tend to lose the quality. That's what I was going to say. Actually, it's very reminiscent of Iron Man and Iron Man two, isn't it? Oh yeah. That's a good point. The out of nowhere witty repartee and and uh, rapid fire dialogue with with jokes that are completely out of nowhere, and you could see that just getting out of hand real quick in the sequel. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I mean, and that's what I main that's what I mainly worry about with this type of thing. Um, is and, and if if they can just, I mean, even it, I hope they take three years to make the movie. That's all I'm saying. I hope they hope they, they take hope they take their time. They cut out the bad stuff. They know what doesn't work, and they do exactly what they did with this first movie, where they you know they had all this time to come out with the right product and left Ryan Reynolds and all you know this this new director uh, is it Tim Miller Tim Miller yeah, yeah, Tim Miller um this they, they left them alone and just let them do their thing and they came out with you know this and this is this is exactly what we want so as long as fox doesn't sit there and you know and and look over their shoulders on everything and let them do their thing then i think it has a good chance but if if not if fox is sitting there going well now we got to protect this we got to shepherd it it's going to be bad one of the weak points one of the things about the film that sort of bothered me um was i feel like the all the heroes got much better treatment than the villains and more time was spent on developing their characters and their looks. Oh, yeah. and I felt like the, the villain side of things was a little weak in this film. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, for sure. The villain is, is pretty much, I could put him in any uh, other action movie. I could put him in a taken movie it and felt he, like I a would... fast and furious villain to me. Right. Right. I could put him Which in I... kind of reference though, at the beginning though, uh, the generic British villain or something like that, right in the credits. They do. That doesn't they do. excuse it, right? That's that's <laughs> one of those things. That's one of those things where it, you say something up at the front. And you're like, well, you know what you were getting into, so therefore it's okay that we did this. You know. Well, and I'm uh, including Gina Carano in the. I didn't think the villains were as good. Like, yeah, forgot she was in of, that movie. I'm not a fan of her acting. I, you know, she didn't have to do much acting here. Um, but again, I felt like Colossus and even the Negasonic Teenage Warhead girl. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I felt like they got a lot more um, positive light and more attention. And they were more enjoyable when they were on screen. Yeah, oh, I yeah. got a real problem with these villains, actually. Uh, I got a real problem with it. It sounds like I didn't like the movie. I really liked the movie. But it's it's like the General Zod and, and um, Superman problem 
of like an unstoppable force and an immovable object. Like mm. how dead do you have to make this person to actually like make me invest in the stakes? The same thing goes for uh, whatever Gina Carano's uh, character was in Colossus. It's like, can you guys even kill each other? Or are you just literally just slugging at each other in the face? Right. Well, and it was extra frustrating here because, it, and I don't honestly think you can spoil <laughs> this true. movie. Um, the, yeah, it's, yeah. There's so many jokes and it's not about the plot anyway, but there's that scene yeah. early in the movie where Deadpool just owns that guy. And, and then like by the finale, they're like evenly matched. And I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know. I mean, I was sitting, unfortunately, on like the third row and I was having a little trouble catching some of the dialogue when he was torturing him. So for maybe he explained his powers or what he is, but I had no idea. Yes. I'm just watching that yes. final fight. Going, not, Why isn't Deadpool apparently he's, he's just got the, uh, he can't feel pain, but that doesn't mean like he can't die though. Like, like Deadpool. Does it? I mean, does it also give him super strength? Uh, a little bit of super strength and and reflexes and stuff like that. But none of that is explained in the movie. See, none of that should still help him keep up with Deadpool. Like, I, I just felt like that was a little. I mean, if, pick one or the other, but don't show me two different fights where he owns him in one and then they're evenly matched in the other. In general, that's my. I you know, you brought up something that I can't stand about a lot of these superhero movies is uh, when they have powers, but they sit there and punch each other to oblivion. <laughs> it's, it's almost like you just, you don't have any other ideas on what to do. It's like, well, they countered all my good stuff. So now it's time to go just bare knuckles with them. Well, and I'm um, going to jump in here and talk about this civil war trailer where we see oh Iron Man and cap and winter soldier in a tri-way fist fight. And I'm like, why doesn't Iron Man fly up and shoot missiles at him? They can't fly. Right. Why the hell is he going and engaging him that close? Oh my God. That, that scene like is, is so weird to me because I understand the nerdgasm of it. Right. Right. But it also bothers me just because it's, it's just not fulfilling in, in at all. Yeah. Um, it, you see that and it's just like, where is this going to go? And there's no tension to it because you know that, you know, I mean, I guess I guess if you are to believe the uh, the comic book uh, storyline of that, Captain America could die in that uh, in that storyline or whatever. But there's really no tension to this whole thing, you know, right. um, unless he does, unless he does die. I mean, that's the only <laughs> thing that I can think of. Um, then how will you feel about yourself? What's that? What, no, what I was just you? asking if you were going to feel responsible for Captain America's death. Oh, and, like, yeah. <laughs> it's all no your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> yes. Um, when I was growing up, I read Batman comics and X-Men comics. Those are the only ones that I really read. And I do want to praise Deadpool for, I think, being the first movie to get Colossus right. Because um, almost yeah. everything about that character was exactly as I always pictured him when I was reading the comics. That, But down to the goofy accent and the, like, he's almost gentle. Um, I really enjoyed that character in Deadpool. Yeah, that, that he's almost Groot like in uh, how how fun he is to watch. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of it's kind of what I felt like when I when I saw Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, although you know another one of my gripes is that you know he and the other X Men 
just do an about face, like for no reason. Like they're they're ready to arrest Deadpool basically and bring him in by force. And the next time we see him, they're like, "Sure, we'll help you out." And like nothing has happened to change the situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, well, isn't isn't it in the movie that he says, "Well, maybe I'll join you if you should." Well, yeah, but he. I mean, they were ready to bring him in to stop him from doing any kind of this shit he's doing, and and I even if he was threatening to join the X-Men, would they still go out and kill people and cause all this mayhem with him that they were trying to get him to stop earlier in the movie? Yeah, probably not. But again, I I do like the fact that they, they acknowledge exactly what, exactly what we would if we were sending the movie. And that is, you know, when he goes to the castle, he only sees those two characters um, every time. And he's like, it's almost like they couldn't afford any more X-Men, you know? If and when we do a sins video, there's going to be, we're going to be missing 15 to 30 that Deadpool says himself in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm still debating. uh, I don't want to break anybody's hearts here. I'm still debating on whether or not we can even send this movie. I know Um, you are, but I walked out pretty confident we can. Okay. Um, And we can talk about it off mic, but I, I think there's enough there. And if you just remove all the fourth wall stuff and all the jokes, I think there's enough of what happens on screen that we can do our thing with. When you go back to our old five minute, 50, 50 sin video, I guess. <laughs> well, and maybe that would even be a new way instead of taking sins off a new way to give a nod to a movie that we, we enjoy, you know, maybe yeah. make a really short video. I don't know. I will say that, uh, I I'm a little upset that I didn't notice. And I guess it's because when I'm watching movies now and I'm, I don't, when I'm not sending them, I'm not sitting there looking for stuff and everything um but i did not notice the villain coming in eating an apple and i don't know if that was you know a lot of people seem to think that might be some sort of like call back to us for some reason it can't can't be i can't get my head around that ever being the case right and i i me either i mean unless unless i mean it seems like there would be a few more either jabs at us or uh, you know, there would be something more to it uh, if they wanted to, if they wanted to, you know, either say, Hey, we love cinema sins or, Hey, we hate cinema sins. There'd right. be a lot more of that in the movie. Well, and I got warned on Twitter by a bunch of people before I saw it about the Apple thing, but nobody warned me about the stalker pizza guy named Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's disappointing to me because uh, I, yeah. I was a little, I was a little, no, I wasn't really taken aback, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not common to see movie characters named Jeremy. I could t- I t- telling you as someone named Jeremy. Um, so it's always weird when you see it. Yeah. I, I would imagine. So as I, I'm kind of used to Chris's being, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, uh, even Barrett's are probably in movies more than Jeremy's. Oh my god, I don't know about that. I, Barrett is one of the few Barrett's I know, and I don't think I've ever run into a Barrett in movies. Of course, now that I've said that, every movie I watch will have a Barrett in it. Right, or a Jeremy. Yeah, or a Jeremy. Well, I mean, I, I just I particularly enjoyed the, the opening credits where they, oh, you know, yeah, it was particularly enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed the little Ferris Bueller thing at the very end. <laughs> um, the the little last credit scene or whatever is is pretty great. Um, uh, it's almost like you know Ryan Reynolds is, is just clearly having the time of his life, and I'm glad yeah. for him because I've always liked him, but he's just been in so many bad movies. Uh, he's one of those people that could be a whole podcast, probably actors we genuinely like that have just been in a bunch of bad movies. Because I feel like 
he's like that for me. He hasn't been in much that I've enjoyed, but you know, I've always wanted to root for him. Yeah, for sure. I, I've always, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to see him thrive. This is, I mean, he, he sort of came onto the scene with Van Wilder. That was his, his big, you know, break or whatever. And, and I, and I, you know, Van Wilder has its, is either the best, is one of the funniest comedies you've ever seen, or it's, you know, for me, it's like, eh, it's got some funny parts in it. And Ryan Reynolds is pretty, is pretty likable in it. Um, it's almost like he's back to his Van Wilder days in this movie, uh, but uh, but it's uh, it's a little bit you know it's how Van Wilder is obviously just a you know a cheapo comedy that they threw together. This one definitely was uh, a step above that. Well, and I think he is as perfectly cast as Deadpool as Robert Downey Jr. is as Iron Man, or yeah. Hugh Jackman is as Wolverine. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. The only person you can see, because Ryan Reynolds sort of uh, imitates or, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's the Canadian thing or whatever, but uh, he's so much like Jim Carrey that, you know, the only person I could see possibly doing Deadpool is Jim Carrey back in the 90s or something right. like that. Right. Uh, but even Jim Carrey would have, I think Jim Carrey would have gone a little bit over, way more over the top than Ryan Reynolds does in this. Jesus, that would have been a really interesting movie, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like like totally Jim Carrey in the 90s doing Deadpool. Yeah, for well, sure. I'm hoping the eventual Blu-ray gives us, because he's wearing a mask most of the movie, and I'm sure went on some ad lib rants. I'm hoping the Blu-ray or DVD gives us a lot of bonus material and bloopers and other funny shit that he said that didn't make them the cut. Man, it's gotta be there. I, I get the sense that they could have possibly made another movie with this kind of like what yeah. they did. Uh, I think Anchorman two, yeah. uh, they cut a whole bunch of, they cut, well, they actually did do this. They cut yeah. a whole new movie out of what the, the ad libs and stuff they did in that movie. Yeah. And yeah, I actually, I, I actually remember reading, uh, some of the stuff I was reading some of the jokes before the movie came out and I was like, Oh my God, I hope that's in the movie. And it wasn't. And I was like, Oh, I would have, I would have fell on the floor if it, if that joke was in there. And I guess I haven't seen the other cut, but I guess it's in there somewhere, but I bet Deadpool's the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I will say this, uh, it, it this is sort of a, I guess a mini rant on, on box office and stuff like that. I remember when this came out, uh, Gizmodo or one of those Kenja sites, um, was talking about, um, you know, you know, talking about the success of Deadpool and everything. And down in the comments, I guess this is no different from any other topic in the world, but people really don't know their box office. Um, yeah. and it really just angers me when I see people making like definitive statements about it's like, it's like Deadpool made 135 million on its opening weekend. And somebody was like, can we just wait until this movie drops 65% on its second weekend before we call this a game changer? And I was like, <laughs> it's a, it, it doesn't matter. It, it dropped 65%. It's made $200 million already. I mean, if that, that guy's out there listening to the podcast. He's really offended by that voice you gave him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he should be offended because he's stupid. Um, but it's, it's sort of the stuff like that. And if somebody underneath that, that was like, 
was like, oh, it didn't really make as much money as you think it did, blah, 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 you know, uh, it, compared to other superhero movies. Well, actually, compared to other superhero movies, it's done a lot of business. It's yep. not Avengers level, but it's it's does it's doing like Spider-Man level of business. Blue Pass Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing that people uh, get on to, and, they, and, and this has suddenly become the smart person's thing to say about box office, and I don't like it at all. Um, is that they talk about the um, they talk about the adjusted for inflation figures? Yeah, I cannot stand that for a bit. the 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 reason why I don't is because, of course, movie going is completely different as it was uh, in the days where uh, you know movies had actual real attendance and everything. Of course, attendance numbers have dropped because the ticket prices have gone up. The uh, gone up to stratospheric levels that people just, you know, I mean, you got to go in and you're paying 14 bucks for a movie. Um, and I, what is it in Chicago right now, Barrett? It's about uh, 14 bucks a movie. Oh, is it 14? Okay. Well, I think, yeah. I think in New York, it was like, I went, I think in New York, it's like somewhere around 18 to 20 bucks or something. Jeez. Um, and, and yeah, there's a lot of factors involved in, in the reason why the attendance is down and everything like that. The ticket prices are never going to go down, by the way. I mean, if right. they, if they, if they cut it in half, then they would get about the same amount of people anyway. So, uh, they're just going, they're going to keep charging that. But, the thing is, is like, you know, every year, like somebody's like, well, Gone with the Wind would have made $1.7 billion with its uh, adjusted for inflation. Yeah, because back in the Gone with the Wind days, there weren't all these distractions. That was like the only thing to do back then was to go right. see Gone with the Wind. And well, um, well, you didn't have a multiplex with 15 other options either. Yeah, I actually had somebody arguing with me once at a movie theater, uh, one of my coworkers, obviously, not not a customer, although that wouldn't have been beyond the realm of uh, <laughs> of uh, possibilities but at some point. But uh, I had a, an argument with a coworker they're talking about the inflation thing, and, and, they, and I was like, well, Gone with the Wind wouldn't have made that much money back then if we if if it was still the same ticket price and he goes no the inflation of a ticket price is exactly what that means uh it's whatever it's proportional to the dollar inflation i was like no it's not it's not proportional to the american dollar inflation you're talking about like the movie ticket price is way way higher than than what the the dollar is worth or whatever right Right. um so so like if people came you know if you know if it was our economy uh, and Gone with the Wind came out, and there was fourteen dollars tickets. I guarantee you, Gone with the Wind wouldn't have made <laughs> nearly that much money. I'm sorry, that's just wouldn't have happened. But yeah, I think the only fair way to really even try and quantify it is attendance per screen, right? Yeah, I mean, and they'll never do that. They'll never show you what the attendance was for a movie because it's better to show how much money it made. People right. want to see the money more than they want to see the attendance. Right. Um. So. I, you know, I don't have any patience for that inflation thing. Uh, I just think that uh, uh, you know, it's a completely different time. It's kind of like, like, oh, well, uh, let's see what would have happened if the 1986 Bears could could play the 2000 Ravens and all that. Well, completely different <laughs> eras. You know, I Everybody's imagine. got CTE. Yeah, That's uh, one exactly. Of my favorite analogies ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, then Great. I should probably end it on that then. You're Harvey Peacock. You're famous. So if you're the kind of person looking for some fantasy figure to save the day, guess what? You got the wrong movie. All right. Well, the next segment is we're going to talk about, because this is uh, coming out, uh, it was, I guess, the day after the Oscars. 
Um, we're going to talk about unnominated performances. Uh, there's a thing, I mean, obviously when the uh, award nominations came out this year, the big uh, cry was that, you know, the, the it was not diverse enough and straight out of Compton and uh, Michael B. Jordan from Creed and Idris Elba from uh, Beast of No Nation, all of them didn't get nominated and all that. I think this is probably not the best year. Uh, I mean, I liked Idris Elba and Beast of No Nation, which I saw. Uh I don't know if he deserves a nomination really for it. It's a pretty good, it's a good performance. I mean, it's, it's good. It's Idris Elba. Um, I think Michael B. Jordan was the only one who really got screwed out of all this. Mm. But the thing that straight out of Compton, you know, I think there were a lot of, a lot of good performances. You have ice cubes, son played ice cube really well. Um, and doc in, in the, you know, the people who played Dr. Dre easy, they were really good. I don't know if they're like performances of the year though. Um, right. And uh, but Paul Giamatti's in Straight Outta Compton, and I I had talked about Paul Giamatti before in a in a previous podcast. The man's only been nominated for one Oscar for Cinderella wow. Man. Um, I think he could have been nominated for almost maybe five nominations. I don't even remember him as being in Cinderella Man. <laughs> oh, Cinderella Man! He's he's great because he's uh, he's uh, Russell Crowe's like uh, manager or whatever. And there's that one scene where he's like. He's like, he's like, Jesus and all the saints and Jesus Christ and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, did I say Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he's just great in that. And I'm glad he got nominated, but there's a, I think there's about five performances he could have been nominated for. Number one was probably private parts. Uh, that Ooh. was his first, uh, mm. his first foray. Uh, I think that was his first, it, might, it was one of his first movies. I think he it was in the negotiator and all that before that. Um, but uh, I think he was great in private parts. But then, like, the the really, the one that's just crazy he didn't get nominated for was American Splendor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Harvey P. Carr, he's great as that. And that's, that's, that's like an actual just, just dive into it performance. That's just one of those where he's a completely different person. He's not Giamatti anymore. He's Harvey P. Carr. And, um, and that one not getting nominated is one of the, the, uh, is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Uh, it, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those performances just, just generally everybody loved it. Everybody loved the movie. Um, it wasn't like nobody know, knew about it. It was, it was just a genuinely like everybody talked about it performance. Then the Oscars come around. Nope. Didn't get nominated the very next year sideways. He doesn't get nominated sideways. He's fantastic. And that that's insane. Yeah. For and, sure. yeah and, 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 and the, the fact is in that very movie with a movie got nominated, the screenplay got nominated. Virginia Madsen got nominated. Thomas Hayden church got nominated. But Paul Giamatti didn't. How yeah, is that? Yeah, that's, awesome. that's the weirdest. Yeah, that's the weirdest part of that. Because American Splendor, just to, if, in case people haven't seen it, just for some context, I think it it was set in like Cleveland and like kind of a a blue collar neighborhood. He's Harvey Pekar, who wrote. He was the writer, right? Narcrum was the, yeah. the illustrator of these comics, yeah. these American Splendor comics. And you know, I was just watching the trailer as as we we started this before we started it, and it's just a really immersive performance and like but at least with sideways people were aware of the movie and they were aware of alexander payne they were aware of the buzz around it but yeah american splendor had got really nothing right right yeah it, it, i mean it was it was a small movie and uh it didn't i'm i don't i'm trying to think if hope davis may have gotten nominated for that um 
Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, this is good radio. Yes, it is. Extremely click, good click, radio. Typing noises. Click, click, I click. have I have good thumbs. Uh, it was um, nominated for adapted screenplay, and that's it. Wow. Um, Did it win? No, it not. It was just nominated. Um, huh. There's a there's a couple others. I think he could have gotten nominated for Straight Out of Compton, but that would have been weird. You know, let's nominate the one white guy out of this. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, he, he could also got nominated for win, win, uh, the movie where he takes in a, takes in a kid who is good at wrestling or whatever. And, um, is, is his coach and all that. Uh, he was really good in that. Um, so I think there's about five nominations he could have, but, um, but he's only been nominated once, but out of all that, I think American Splendor is one of the most unnominated performances of all time. And I mean that in that weird non sequitur way. I just said it. One of the most unnominated performances of all time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Barrett, you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. I've I've got uh, one that's a little bit older. There's a several actually that that were a little bit older that could go into crazy detail. One one that I almost picked was Anthony Perkins in Psycho, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I still think was, yeah. was absolutely oh iconic ridiculous. performance and and not nominated. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's another iconic performance that I have no clue because it's it this performance is shown on every like the magic of the movies and like what movies do you remember and movie moments and stuff like that it's jack nicholson in the shining and he wasn't even nominated it wasn't like he didn't win he was not even nominated for that performance wow and you know what i I, yeah it's ridiculous you know what i think happened with the shining though is that it wasn't a big hit when it came out um uh, stephen king hated it even um and there are some people and I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but I think it still could be nominated. But uh, is that he's crazy from the minute one in that movie? Uh, I disagree with that. But that's 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 the main criticism yeah. of, of yeah. his performance in that is that especially when they're driving up to the the lodge or whatever, he's like yeah. he's like, huh? See, they saw it on the television, you know that type <laughs> of thing. And uh, but you you're right. Especially when he's interviewing in the office, he's very calm. He's very calm throughout. Throughout, and it seems like the craziness kind of seeps in. But I think that's what people. I, it, it, I'm surprised Kubrick let that in. That that little they saw it on the television part. Yeah, because that's, no, I, I think you're. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think that another thing that contributed to that. Is so he won what was it 1975 for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, he's won four Oscars, I believe. Right, and so he had that other iconic McMurphy uh, role where he was absolutely, you know, doing air quotes where he was insane. And when you go back and you watch the The Shining, which probably the three of us have over and over and over again, it's actually more of like a slow burn performance if you take out the, exactly that like little moment when they're driving in the car. Uh, it's it's kind of a slower burn than you think, uh, because the movie is really long. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes a while for him to get to that point where he starts conceivably drinking again. And he starts getting really crazy. Uh, but yeah, I think it actually uh, goes up at a at a nice pace. But I think it's overblown because of the performance before with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then where it ended up relative to where it started. Um, I, I just think it's crazy that. It was not even a, a nominated performance. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that is weird. I love The Shining, and I often cite it as like my favorite "quote unquote" horror movie, even though the genre is so twisty. 
might put Alien in there. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't feel super sorry for him because I'm pretty sure he's one of the most nominated actors in history, right? Yeah, he is. He And, and I just found he's he's won three Oscars. He's won three. I, I thought it was four. But he also, the another, and just to sort of uh, throw this in, he was also not nominated for The Departed, which is another movie that – um, I, is weird because it's an ensemble cast, and I'm going to get into this with uh, Jack Lemon in a minute. But uh, it's an ensemble cast, so it's like, who do you pick? And the Academy picked Mark Wahlberg out of that whole group. Wow, of people to get nominated, and you know, had DiCaprio and Damon and Alec Baldwin could have gotten Jeez. nominated, and all these people. And uh, and I thought for sure when I saw The Departed, and especially all the the buzz it got and all that Nicholson was a shoe in, especially since he's like Meryl Streep and they just nominate him anytime he does something. So I was kind of shocked about that. Anyway, uh, Jeremy, what's yours, man? I'm going to go back, um, not too far. And I'm going to go with Harrison Ford in the fugitive for a number of reasons. Uh, The movie is iconic as hell. And I was alive when it came out, unlike many of you listening. Um, And it was showered with parade. Everybody loved this movie. It made a ton of money. And then we're going to nominate Tommy Lee Jones's character of all people. And I love Tommy Lee Jones, but he is doing the least acting of his career in that movie. He's just playing Tommy Lee Jones with a gun. And Tom, and then you have Harrison Ford, who I, I think is great through the whole movie, but the interrogation scene early on alone should have earned him yeah, a nomination. Absolutely. I mean, he, There's, I'm far from the first to say it, but he goes through a range of so many different emotions in a few seconds in that interrogation scene. I don't, I don't know how it's humanly possible to pull that off. It, and it shows it shows with Tommy Lee Jones, as long as you make people laugh, people are going to you're going to remember that performance. But Harrison Ford yeah. does so many things in there. I especially like you're talking about the interrogation scene, which is fantastic. But also just a little moment like when the judge uh, hits his gavel and he gets he gets yeah. that little that little shake in yeah. him or whatever. Twitch, yep. Yeah, um, uh, he does stuff like that all the way through it. And and uh, and it's it's really Harrison Ford at his very best. And, you you know, there's another guy who definitely uh, you you think, man, the guy is so popular. He's probably been nominated for eight Oscars or whatever. He's only been nominated for witness. And that's the only Oscar nomination he's ever had. And the guy is beloved. Yeah. Um, And that's one that definitely could have gotten nominated. He's so good. That performance anchors that whole movie. You put somebody terrible in that role and nobody's ever going to remember Tommy Lee Jones's awesomeness because it's the fugitive that makes that movie even if he doesn't get the funny lines right yeah he's real what what's weird about that is that you know he's essentially invulnerable uh it, jumping off the the dam and everything and and all the, the the things that he goes through but he plays it vulnerable you know what i mean yeah. like he's he's really broken throughout the whole movie where he's you know, shopping for for an apartment with the the Polish mom and and son yeah. and everything, and like he plays it like almost like a wounded animal that'll do whatever he needs to do. But he's got that weird like grin that comes out every once in a while. But it's few and far between in this. And this the movie was it was nominated for best picture, best supporting actor, best cinematography, best editing, best score, best sound. I mean, all everything but Harrison Ford was nominated. Yeah, I know. It's it is crazy. weird when that stuff happens. It just it's always like it doesn't make any sense at all. Yep. So you know, I mean, I think what we've shown here is that is that even though there's obviously a diversity problem, there's also just a system problem, and it's just. Yeah. Uh, 
it, it's there's like, a Harrison Ford problem. Yeah, there's a Harrison Ford problem, and there's another movie. By the way, there's a couple other movies I could possibly mention with Harrison Ford. Um, I actually heard Kevin Smith talking about this at one point. Um, in regarding Henry, he was really good in that movie too. Yeah, he was. And, uh, that's another one he could have gotten nominated for. I also, I mean, I don't think this is really Oscar worthy, but I thought he was awesome and presumed innocent as well. He was, um, I would argue that's Oscar worthy. I love that movie. Yeah. I, and presumed innocent. Anytime it's on, I've got to watch it. It's just, yep. it's one of those mysteries that's, it's just constantly keeps your attention. Um, but it's shocking that Harrison Ford's only been nominated one time. Yeah. I agree. And totally. I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't even gotten one of those like you know all right here here have one of these nominate have a nomination type of nominations like right like 42 he could have totally been nominated for that if, he, if, if people want it's you know it's not his best performance by any means but i'm surprised he didn't get nominated for it they were going to give him one for sabrina but then they watched the movie yeah uh, <laughs> i kind of like sabrina <laughs> That's all right. Well, okay, you got another one, right? You got you got another uh, unnominated performance. Yeah, I've got several, um, but uh, depending on how much time we've got, but uh, let's do another round. Yeah, man. Um, Jack Lemmon and Glengarry Glenn Ross is mm. phenomenal, and um, and so is Ed Harris. By the way, there's another guy who could get who could have yeah. gotten nominated. I mean, actually, everybody could have gotten nominated, but it was a really strong year. I looked at 1992. And aside from the fact that they were really dying to give Al Pacino an, an, uh, an award um, for, you know, for Sin of a Woman, which I think they could have. I mean, if you look back on it now, it's like, man, I, I wish I could change history. So Pacino had an Oscar before Sin of a Woman. So they didn't give it. To, they didn't fall over themselves trying to give him an award in 1992. Um, but um Really, almost anybody could have been nominated in Glengarry Glen Ross, but just particularly Lemon and Harris. But Jack Lemon, uh, you're talking about range of emotions and everything. He's a salesman who is he's trying to he's obviously his daughter's in a hospital um, and he's he's trying to get this money for an operation and everything. It's sort of like the the hidden story, basically, in Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, and he he goes from like that that smarmy salesman guy that you can't stand to vulnerable and, 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 you know, uh, and then he goes, he goes from, he goes from, was it in one scene with Kevin Spacey? He's, um, he's, uh, insulting Kevin Spacey. And then right after he insults him, he has to basically grovel before him, uh, because of some, you know, his mouth is just too big. He just keeps saying some stuff that he shouldn't. And then he gets caught. And, um, and he, I mean, the, the performance is just amazing. I don't know. I mean, if and a lot of people in Glenn, Glenn Ross, uh, point to the Alec Baldwin scene and, and they, they, and they'll point to that Pacino scene, which I've actually, I've memorized Pacino's, uh, Kevin Spacey rant. Um, but, uh, Jack Lemmon was just talking, he was on, uh, the, uh, tonight show the other night just talking about that uh, spacey was if i can interject yeah kevin spacey was if i can interject real quick it was it was actually a funny story because they filmed his close up they filmed spacey's close up uh without the dialogue and so uh, pacino just went off on this rant about spacey personally like he was like <laughs> you're a bad person you're a bad father or something oh, <laughs> like, so the emotions were, were real but he was like horrified <laughs> but it's all 
And then they went back and they over did all the, the dialogue. Oh and man, that's it. amazing. Um, well, and that's one of my favorite spacey performances because that's before he got all what would be the Alec Baldwin in that movie roles where he's the dominant, you know, put it in your face with clever wording guy. And he's almost meek at times in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right because just a couple years later, he's in swimming with sharks. Um, and that's, exactly. another, that's another, we could talk about that one too. It's another great performance because Spacey had such an amazing 1995 that, um, that I think that they just sort of overlooked the swimming with sharks performance. Like, ah, yeah, you're great. We'll give it to you for usual suspects. You're good. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's so good in that because it's, it's kind of a different spacey than you're used to. If you're, if you're familiar with everything else he's done after that. Right. He's usually, usually plays much more confident characters. And in this one, he's just, he doesn't seem, he puts on an air of confidence at times when he needs to, but he, he's clearly a wuss. <laughs> well, that's another great thing about that movie is that there are little moments that the camera cuts away from, and there's these telling, uh, there's these telling expressions. And, and one of them is where, where Jack Lemon is, uh, is yelling at, uh, Spacey or whatever. And Pacino's like, he's right, Williamson. And there's a cut to Williamson Spacey. He's look. He, he has this like. He looks up at him like. You really. You really taking his side on this, you know? And it just cuts away. But it's it's a great. It's a great little scene. Awesome. All right. Well, my second um, submission is Matt Damon in the Informant. <laughs> oh my god, so good. Nice. And uh, this is one of those movies that I think a lot of people didn't see. It sort of came and went. It had almost an indie kind of release. Um, and I wouldn't have seen it if Chris and a couple other friends hadn't really encouraged me to. And you watch it, and it's just, this is the movie that sold me completely on Matt Damon as a as an actor and a leading man. And again, it's it, if you get the casting wrong on this role, this movie doesn't work at all. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. And now he was also in Invictus that year, and and was nominated best supporting for that. And so it's possible that role overshadowed this role, but. Uh, he just does. He does so many things in this movie I'd never seen him do before, uh, in terms of em- emoting and posture, facial expressions. Even the narration is just really great acting. Yeah, it's one of the rare uh, moments where narration is a welcome addition to the movie because it's so funny and entertaining. Yeah, yeah, and it and it gets you to his state of mind. It serves a purpose as well because you you slowly learn exactly how insane this guy might be uh partially through his narration have you seen it barrett yeah i have it's been a while though but i, I do remember his performances sticking out as being one of the the better part that was soderbergh wasn't it yeah yeah that was a soderbergh film yeah. and he's again next time we have the eclectic d- director discussion he's up there with um danny boyle for me in terms of the, the genre bending and trying different styles and totally soderbergh yeah. stretches constantly i think yeah for sure um the other thing about the informant is the scene towards the end where he's uh, in the courtroom or whatever, and he makes yeah. that speech. Um, yeah. I, I read that Soderbergh told him to say this speech like he's uh, he's winning an Oscar. Um, <laughs> and that's why it comes off so great in the movie. That's um, uh, is that he's it's like he's accepting an Oscar, even though he's obviously just super guilty and just a liar and all that. <laughs> um, that's another. By the way, speaking of which, the saying "liar" that way reminds me of Scott Bakula, who's really good in that movie too. Probably could have gotten oh, yeah. nominated for it. He's like, he's like, you're gonna have to stop lying. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> oh, it's such an entertaining movie. It's such a surprise. And I don't think there's very many movies like that at all. Like, it, it's really hard to classify or compare to any other film. And they knew what they were up against, too, when they did the marketing for the movie. Because if you look at the trailer, the trailer is like, this is a movie about corn. That's right, kids. It's about corn. <laughs> 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 Barrett, you got a second one? Yeah, I'm going back to Chris's year, actually, 92, uh, because this is one of the most overlooked performances that I, even just thinking about this, is Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It, he's, he, he gets lost in the shuffle of the discussion because it's all bringing back to Jack Nicholson, but He's terrific in that. He is. Like he's, he's really one of the best parts in the movie, and he's he shows his a range. I guess Born on the Fourth of July really showed more of his range, but uh, he shows a full range of like this, you know, cocky, self assured uh, attorney at the beginning that uh, really has a crisis of of uh, conscience and confidence and things like that. Yeah, and then just ends up with what you would call like an, uh, another iconic moment uh, in the, in the courtroom, several iconic moments. Yeah. There are and, performances yeah. all over that film that probably deserve to be nominated. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's yeah. weird is yet yeah, once again, and this is why it's weird when Jack Nicholson doesn't get nominated for the shining or the departed or whatever, he's in a few good men for like what, 15 minutes or something like that. It's not very long. Um, and, uh, and he's, he's basically nominated on the strength of that, that jury that that courtroom scene or whatever and it is great it is oh, fantastic yeah. for sure but you know it, it's uh it's one of those things where i sit there and go man great performance but maybe we should come up with a category for best like small performance or something like that or you know best cameo yeah although it's more than a cameo though so it's sure. it, it's i mean maybe maybe you call it cameo and just don't worry about it but uh, it's like that and Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, you know, yeah, and, Anthony too, Hopkins yeah. isn't in that movie very long. He gets best actor win. So, um, but, but yeah, Tom Cruise, good call. I mean, he's really good in that. Well, yeah. So I was looking at the nominees that year and, and everybody's really great. I mean, you can't really, okay. Sin of a woman, maybe he could, he could slide in there for, for Pacino and Eastwood and Unforgiven, Stephen Ray in the crying game and Denzel in, in Malcolm yeah, X. It's such a strong category. It really is, but then Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for Chaplin, and it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're right. That was that was yeah, it was good. Yeah, but that that was maybe one of the first. You know, he's in a biopic, so we're gonna, and yeah. he's he's serviceable in it, so we're going to nominate him and uh, you know see what happens. But yeah, I I think Tom Cruise gets overlooked in a lot of movies just because he's he's Tom Cruise, but. I think he, he gets very much overlooked in a few good. Movies. Hey, am I right, or did we just open with some talk about? Oscars diversity and then throw out six white dudes. We just did a bunch of white people, but I'm going to, I will bring, I mentioned Denzel. (laughs) Well, Denzel has been nominated quite a bit, Um, but I I could name, I could name another person in this. And it's something I wrote down on my list actually was Don Cheadle and Boogie Nights. Um, Excellent. Let's do discuss that. Yeah. Don Cheadle and Boogie Nights. Actually, Don Cheadle could have probably been nominated for Devil in a Blue Dress, although I don't know how long he's in that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember him being really good in it. Um, But Boogie Nights, you talk about a guy going through the range of emotions, and there's there's so many good scenes with him in it, especially in the donut shop. Oh, God. Yeah. He... He just, I mean, almost like the character in the movie seems like he's, he's been, you know, cast aside as, you know, what, I mean, I don't know what it is that Boogie Nights didn't really get as much 
uh, love as it should have, really. But Oh, man. I mean, it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And I like a lot of the ones he released after, but it's so perfect. Yeah, it really is, and and for and and Cheadle is is a star in that movie, and uh, I think Julianne Moore. I mean, I was going to say something about uh, the female nominees. Um, uh, is is that if you can name an actress that is a, a popular actress and has been nominated before, they've probably been nominated at least five times. Yeah. I was playing this game. Mm-hmm. I was playing this game the other day. Um, uh, was like putting just people's names in into IMDb and looking at whether they've been nominated or not. And the only one that didn't get nominated more was well Jennifer Lawrence, who's too young to have been, but he, she's got four already. Mm. And and Helen Mirren, I thought for sure had more than five, only had four. But wow. uh, that's sort of a a little uh, diversion from uh, Don Cheadle on this. Now um, he's, I mean, all the characters in Boogie Nights are kind of tragic, right? Like no one has like a super positive arc, but I've always felt connected to his tragic arc more than anyone else's. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because his, his big pipe dream is such a small thing. He wants to own a record shop, like a stereo shop. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, <laughs> and that, and that, and that so, that so culminates in the bank scene. Uh, which yeah. I, I nearly cry every single yeah. time I see it because he's, you know, cause they're like telling him he's a pornographer and he can't, they can't give him the, the money and everything. And he's like, this isn't fair. You're not being fair, you know? And yeah. I'm just like, Oh my God, he, oh, yeah, <laughs> he, I, I want to give him the money. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I feel like that was completely overlooked and I just looked it up. Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore were nominated out of that cast. And really wow. you could have nominated like you could have nominated Wahlberg. You could have nominated John C. Riley. Seymour uh, Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman was great in it. Uh, it's just, it's one of those where it's got uh, uh, ensemble problems. So the ense- yeah. Who do you pick out of the group? And it's always seems like a lot of people get shafted in that situation. Yeah, I agree. It's just almost a shame. And if I were an actor, I would avoid ensembles because of that very reason. <laughs> I can't win an Oscar that way. Get away from me. I want my gold. <laughs> Uh, All right. um, One of the reasons why I came up with this topic was that I was looking at Sidney Poitier. Um, Mm -hmm. The he 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 I think he won he won an he won an Oscar and then he won an honorary Oscar. Uh, I believe he won his for like way back in like 1963 or something. And then it was like another 20 something years before another black actor had been uh, who had had won. Um, And that was Denzel Washington. And um, and uh, but Sidney Poitier in the year of 1967, in the heat of the night and guess who's coming to dinner, didn't get nominated. And both of those movies were huge hits and were uh, were lavished with awards. And he didn't get nominated out of that group. I mean, wow. that's something that's ridiculous. And uh, so, so that was something else that you know, it was sort of based on on a, a little bit of that. And Paul Giamatti was another one that just came to mind. But and obviously, Poitier had had been given uh, awards before. But that I thought that was like a huge oversight. Question. I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. All right, so the first question I see that I like that I think could yield some interesting answers um, is uh, what's your favorite movie's opening title sequence? And I'm going to steal the best one right out of the gate uh, and choose seven. Oh, um, yeah, good one. Because 
it was one of the only opening title sequences of that year that really took the opportunity to set the mood. Yeah. Um, and it certainly does. Yeah. And it's creepy as hell and it's, there's visuals and it's shaky and the music is haunting. Uh, and I remember even sitting in the auditorium first time I ever saw it feeling like I've never seen opening credits like this. Oh yeah, for sure. And then it was just endlessly emulated afterwards. Yeah. Um, I think even fallen did it. Didn't fallen have some sort of like credits it did. like that. And I yeah. th- let's talk about Fallen some other day because that's a movie <laughs> I really love that I think people just gloss over. Uh, right, right. But uh and another great Denzel performance, but um anyway, uh what, what about you guys? What f- favorite opening credits that you can remember um I will tell you that it's it's not that the credits are in, in any way original at all, but it's more about the score. Uh, we had seen like, you know, those animated credits where, you know, things are wacky, um, a bunch, but, uh, catch me if you can has that great John Williams score. Um, mm. and the opening credits has, has that theme from it where, you know, it's like, you know, that song. And, uh, and, and it always brought me into that movie. I always want to, always want to watch it once I hear that John Williams score and it's, and 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 it's just one of his most original scores he had done in years um and so that opening credit sequence uh is one that I always come up with beyond 7 obviously 7 is just you know that's just outstanding um but yeah that's that's one for me I'm trying to remember exactly I'm trying to visualize exactly what it was but I, for some reason Dr Strangelove comes out to me oh yeah uh, I think yeah. they had some uh, war footage and, and just the, uh, oh no, it was the planes. Wasn't yeah. It? It's the, like the it's basically the phallic it? gas fuel pump. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I, I love that movie. It, I watched it just recently, several times for some reason. That's one of the most perfect movies I think I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that opening sequence is really cool to me. All right. How about, um, is there a movie you wish you could watch again? Like it was the first time you'd ever seen it. Oh yeah, that's easy. Uh, the usual suspects is one of those. Uh, the, 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 I, I love, I've seen usual suspects probably 40 times or something like that. I mean, it's, it's one of those perfect movies. Um, but, um, I wish I could watch it like I was watching it the first time because you know, once they reveal Kaiser Soze, actually, even when they do the false reveal of Kaiser Soze, um, you, you, you got those chills in the mm-hmm. theater because you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, that, Oh, really? That makes sense. But you know, and then they have, Oh, there's more surprises. And, um, and, uh, that's, that's the movie for me. Like, I wish I could just watch that, you know, without knowing anymore ever. Right. Right. Damn. That's a good one. I'll tell you my, my favorite going to the movie hitting, Upside the head out of nowhere is South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I would just like to kind of go back to that moment where I had no idea what I was getting into, yeah. and it just absolutely just blindsides you with with every type of uh, surprise and humor and everything. So I, I would love to to go in there completely unprepared again. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to the same general area. I think maybe even the same year with uh, my very favorite movie, The Matrix. Um, because mm. specifically because I went with my friend Josh to see something two months before the matrix came out. I didn't know anything about the matrix and they ran a trailer for the matrix in front of this movie. And we were laughing. It looked so stupid. There are people running on the walls and it's got Keanu and it looked so dumb. We went to watch it, to mock it 
and it blew my goddamn mind. And it's my favorite movie to this day. And I can never, ever watch it again that same way because I now know it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, a few years ago, uh, a bunch of coworkers and I watched that trailer again. And, um, and I, we're like, you know, when you're watching the trailer, when you watch the Matrix trailer, um, you you said oh you had to say at the end of it it was like now think about never having seen that before yeah. um because after that it just became uh a staple to have those type of like effects and everything uh in a movie uh, in 99 it was mind blowing you had never seen anything like that before yep yep um so yeah it's another one i you know what it, also 1999 cuz 1999 was a great year american beauty no, the sixth sense. Um, oh yeah, the the sixth sense mainly because it was ruined for me before I even yeah. watched it the first time. Me too. Um, and uh, so that's one that I'd like to be able to see without knowing anything for sure. I didn't even yeah. get a first time on that one. Yeah, I didn't either. I was told on the way and guess if see if you can guess the twist. Well, well yeah, and then told me to look out for it. Yeah, and uh, I had an usher come out and tell me about it, you know, because <laughs> he was looking at the end of the movie and he was like, he's like, he's like, oh, no, it's uh, just the part where we find out the biggest surprise in the movie. That is the Sincast for this week. Um, we do this every Monday and signing off. This is Chris Atkinson with Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Cinema Sins on YouTube. Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. You find this man. You find this man. Put me out of my misery. It taught me something, John. What it taught me? You gotta get out there. I'm not cut out to be a thief. I'm cut out to be a salesman, and I am back. I got my balls back. Now, you got a slight advantage on me. <laughs> but whatever it takes, John, to make things right, we're going to make it right. We are going to make it right. 7.30 a.m., I am approaching the entrance to the office. Good morning, Liz Taylor, secretary. You don't really need to narrate the tapes for right. us when you're Absolutely. making them. Just not a problem.